0: You know, most often when we use the word hope, what we've been singing about and celebrating this whole time, when we use the word hope, most often we use it to express a desire or a wish. I hope I get that job, or I hope this relationship pans out, or I hope nobody brings up politics at Christmas dinner. We use it as a way to express a desire or a wish for something, but biblical hope is radically different than that. It's so much more than that. A way to define biblical hope is this. Biblical hope is an expectation of a guaranteed result. It is an absolute certainty. It is a confident assurance of something that you look forward to with great anticipation. You know that you know that you know that whatever it is is going to come to pass. And the beauty of the Christmas story is that it is a fulfillment of a promise made. And it's a promise that was made at the beginning of time, all the way back in Genesis 3, Genesis 5, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, all throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, there's promises made about a coming Messiah, a Savior that would be born. So it's the the beauty of Christmas, it's... The the fulfillment of a promise in the birth of Jesus Christ, but also in the birth of Jesus Christ, we have a guarantee of a future promise also being fulfilled. And it all hinges on what we celebrate at Christmas because the central message of the Christmas story is a message of hope. But it's a persistent, unwavering, immovable, unconquerable, obstinate and downright stubborn hope i I, I love the words and the song the rose that we sung earlier hope is a stubborn seed that won't be denied that's the kind of hope we're talking about and a lesson that god has been teaching me in this season is that biblical hope does not succumb to vitriol or animosity or accusation in fact Biblical hope responds to contempt with compassion. Biblical hope responds to accusation with empathy because if the Christmas story telling us that God came down, the creator of heaven and earth came down, born as a baby boy in a barn 2,000 years ago, and he himself endured accusation, suffering, malice, mockery, and opened not his mouth. And that God is Emmanuel, God with us. It begs the question, if that God is with us, what can stand against us? In fact, two verses in the book of Isaiah give us reason for a past, present, and future hope. We've referenced this passage several times already this morning. Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Does that not sound good to anybody else this morning? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This prophecy about the birth of Christ was written 700 years before Jesus was born. In fact, two chapters earlier, Isaiah writes this in chapter 7. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, God had been leaving breadcrumbs throughout the history of humanity telling us that a Messiah is coming and he would come and save his people, that God would walk with us. And what's so fascinating about passages like these, and there are many others prophesying around the, the events that surrounded the birth of Jesus, is that they were written about a people, as Isaiah says in, in chapter nine, verse two, that were walking in a great darkness. They were walking in deep darkness. They, they, it's a way to describe people that were beaten down, that were despondent, people that were hopeless, People that were fearful and anxious and worried and scared, right? It's actually describing the unfortunate reality of a part of the human experience. It's a description of our condition as people disconnected from the God who designed us, created us, and breathed life into us. And the message that Isaiah is giving here and the entire message of the Christmas story is this. Whatever darkness you're walking in, whatever your pain, whatever grief or sorrow you're carrying, however difficult the road has been or however difficult the road will be, it tells us that an eternal, unshakable hope has drawn near to you. Of all people, me and you, people like us. Right, it it carries with it the message that God in heaven left His throne. It's all of humanity's hopes, dreams, desires, everything we could possibly want, wrapped in an unassuming package of a baby boy born in a barn two thousand years ago. And when we look back. A God fulfilling the promises made in the birth of Jesus Christ, it fills us with that confident assurance, that obstinate, unshakable, unconquerable hope for our future, why? Because the birth of Jesus tells us that God is a God who keeps his promises. It tells us that our God is a God, that when he says something, he will do it. He will fulfill it. And see, in the birth of Jesus, we have a promise fulfilled, And we have the guarantee of a future promise being fulfilled. Isaiah talks about this in verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You realize what this tells us. It tells us that Jesus Christ came to establish a kingdom, and that kingdom is a kingdom of peace. That kingdom is a kingdom of justice and of righteousness. His kingdom will will rule over and supersede all other kingdoms. Its increase has no end. It will never cease. It has no end. It rules over everything, and if there is a kingdom, that means there is a king. And his name is Jesus. See, church, this is an absolute certainty. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a wish without warrant. It's not just some baseless hope. It is an absolute certainty. And this is the beautiful reality that caused Charles Wesley to pen these words that we already sung this morning. He wrote this in 1744. He wrote, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. See, the promise of Christmas, the hope of the Christmas story, is that not only did the king come down, it's the promise that the king is coming back one day. It's the guarantee that he will return. And when he returns, he won't return as a suffering servant. He'll return as a conquering king. See, that's the beauty of Christmas. And it means that when his kingdom is fully established, every tear will be wiped away. Every ounce of pain or sorrow or anguish or abuse or trauma, every form of cancer will be eradicated for all of eternity. Every form of loneliness and pain and grief will be banished for all eternity. All sorrow will be banished for all eternity. Every tear. He is so powerful and yet so gentle, he wipes away our tears. See, this Grace Chapel is a reason, it is the reason for our unwavering, unconquerable, obstinate, downright stubborn hope because this is the guarantee of the Christmas story that Christ came down and he's coming back one day. So no matter what, listen, yes. No matter what you are facing in this season of your life, No matter what you're facing around you or what wrestlings there are within you, you and I, we can have that unconquerable, immovable, unshakable hope. That persistent, obstinate, stubborn hope because the king of heaven and earth left his throne and came down, and that very king is coming back one day. Amen, somebody. Amen, amen.